Thank you, Natalie. So both of my parents were social workers. And uh, we, so we didn't go out to eat much, you know. It was kind of a treat when we got to go out to restaurants and gather uh, together, uh, the five of us. Um, and there was an inevitable occurrence that would take place whenever we would go out to eat together as a family. It didn't matter what restaurant that we go to, what kind of food, uh, American or, or Italian or Chinese, didn't matter what restaurant. But inevitably, every time, there was something amiss with my mother's meal. Now, now, usually, it was because it wasn't hot, like it was, it was lukewarm. And if your mother was anything like my mother, you know that's unacceptable, right? We're, we're paying money for this. So she would always, no, I mean, she would not let that, she would say, honey, come here, come here. This is not warm. This, this sat too long. And, and not under a heating lamp. No, no, no. I, I'd like the, the meal warm. Right? I, I remember at times she would send the same meal back twice. No, 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 that is not the plate's warm, but the food is not. Right? Sometimes she wouldn't even send it back. She said, no, I'm just not going to eat it. Just no, leave it there. Right? To the kids, we'd always be like, mom, if you could just, no. You know. But we learned to keep our heads down, right? We, because she would also involve us in that. Eric, that doesn't look hot. Is that hot? Yes, mom, it is. No, that's not. Sweetie, honey, come here. Mom, I like my pot pie lukewarm. Just leave it. It's fine, right? So there's this dynamic that would happen almost every time we went to a restaurant. I want to suggest to you this morning that in terms of faith, sometimes Jesus is a little bit like my mom. That there's times that Jesus gets a taste of our personal faith life. He tastes it, he's like, no, that, that is not good. That, no, 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 you need to do something about that, right? Honey, come here, no, send it back, right? And do so, it's not okay, do something about it now. The reason why I suggest that is because we are looking at the final church of our seven churches in Revelation. If you've brought your scriptures with you, which I hope you do, please turn to chapter 3. It's our, it's our final church, and we are in uh, Laodicea, the city of Laodicea. And um, I, I'm going to, by the way, I'm going to argue. Need your scripture there? Yes. All right, thank you. I'm going to argue when we read this that I, I was studying the Greek a little bit, and I'm going to argue that a word can be interpreted as this morning, right? It's call it the carpenter translation, right? Hennies, you can check me on this one if you agree. But I, I do think, and, and so we're going to look, and again, Jesus, the resurrected Lord, has been looking at 
the, the, the churches. And we've been saying, Lord, am I like that? Some, he mentions some blessings and, and, and he encourages the church and saying, you're doing this well and this well. God bless you, keep it going. But then in other instances, he's saying to the same churches, but I have this against you, nevertheless. And we've been asking Is our faith a little bit like that? Is our church a little bit like that? Is our world a little bit like that? So I think this is going to raise some really important questions for us, these scriptures. I want you to be mindful of these scriptures. If there is something that can be called lukewarm faith or lukewarm Christianity, then we better figure out what that is, right? What, what does that look like? And, and, and perhaps just as importantly, like, is that something that we're wrestling with, that in this moment, in our faith life today, is this idea of lukewarmness, would Jesus taste our faith and go, all right? All right, so, This is Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Remember, this is the words of Jesus. He is the God of the Amen, let it be so. He is the God who is faithful a true witness, the ruler, the source of all creation, our resurrected Jesus. Verse 15, I know your deeds, he says to the church in Laodicea, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. That word spit is emeu. It means to vomit or to spew or... (laughs) Do you buy it? What do you think, Kenny? It's good? Yeah, good. All right. Yes, we're there. Yes, verse 17. You say about themselves... I am rich, I have acquired wealth, I do not need a thing. But you, Jesus says, do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become Rich, truly rich. And white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see, truly see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. He's saying, hey, don't be discouraged. I'm speaking strongly to you because I love you. That's what I do with people who I love. Speak the truth. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will open it. I will come in and eat 
with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious or the overcomers, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. What a promise. Just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne, whoever has ears, let them hear. Final check, do we have ears? If, this, if you do have ears, this might be for you. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the church, churches. Okay, powerful, powerful word here that Jesus speaks to the church in Laodicea. And for whatever reason, I'm, I'm not quite sure I'm just going to go with it. But some of you know uh, Jeff Foxworthy, and he became famous for you might be a redneck if, right? Yeah, so thank you for the head nod. Yeah, some of you know, so like he would say, if you think recipe for disaster has something to do with your wife's chili, you might be a redneck in that. So I was thinking that in these pages of Scripture, there are some indicators that if we relate to these indicators, you just might be suffering from lukewarm Christianity. The first indicator is this, a lack of spiritual self-awareness. That you're missing any sense of, uh, of self-evaluation uh, and looking that you are looking at the wrong things. In fact, he says to these Christians, you do not realize you're missing it. You heard in those verses, they say, hey, I'm... I'm rich, we're, we're good to go. There's, there's reason for that, actually. The, the, the city of uh, Laodicea, we, we have our, our map, we'll look at that one final time of, remember we've been going clockwise, uh, the seven churches, and Laodicea the, as a city was, if not, it was one of the richest, if not the richest of the seven cities that we've looked at. They had tremendous wealth. There was a convergence of three primary roads, roadways, that they had great commerce. They were known for their banking system, right? Wealth was flowing in, through, and out of Laodicea. They were known for their uh, black woolen cloth, which will relate to some of the words of the resurrected Christ, right? The, the, so they had a lot, of, they were making high quality clothes, uh, carpets, all those kind of things. That was one of the things they were known for. And they were also known for um, a medical school and that where they produced um, what was called phygrian powder, which was used for a salve that people could put in their eyes uh, to bring relief. So Laodicea was wealthy as a city, and it seems like they were pretty wealthy as a church, and perhaps even numerous of the church. That was their self-assessment. So if someone would have said to a Laodicean, hey, how's your, how are you doing? How's your church? They're probably, you know what? We're, we're living the dream. We got it going on. I mean, you know that, I wonder if they were reading the letters in the book of Revelation and they were going and they're like, oh, I bet you Jesus is saving the best for the last. 
that, that, I mean, we've got a lot going on here in terms of wealth and goodness. We've got tons going on. And so they come to there, and the resurrected Jesus gives an assessment of them, and he says, you're missing it. You're missing it. And look at uh, the verse here when he says in verse 17, you say I'm rich. You see, say I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize. He's giving them an assessment. He's saying you're wretched, you're pitiful, you're poor, and you're blind. I want to encourage you that if you are doing a self-assessment and you're focused on the wrong things, you might be struggling from lukewarm Christianity. I want to suggest that they were wrestling a little bit like the church in Sardis, that they were actually Asleep, They thought they were vibrant and awake and dynamic. And Jesus was saying, no, no, you're not. They were looking at themselves. And when we do a little bit of a self-assessment, what is the first thing that we do? When we think about it, if people are saying, how are you doing? It's really easy with the, our, to look at our wealth, our house, our cars, our bank account, and say, I'm doing pretty well. And yet, that's not what Jesus looks at. What Jesus looks at is, as we learned in the other church, he looks at the internal things, the things that are going on within. I want to encourage you to think about and look at the things that are going on within. Those are the things that matter to God. A second indicator that we might be struggling from lukewarm Christianity is an idea of passion. Of passion. In verse 19, NIV translates the word earnest, earnestly Desiring. The, the root word is zaleo, which is our root word for, for zeal. That's where we get zeal. And he's saying, live with zeal. You, you can translate that as actually boiling, as being hot, as, as earnestly desiring the things of God and Jesus himself. The church of Laodicea, they had a lot of things going in their favor, but they had one issue. They had no fresh water that was flowing uh, into them, no fresh springs. So they would have, there was a, a city close by that had hot springs, so they had created an aqueduct system to bring that water in, but by the time it got to them, it was neither hot for no medicinal purposes or other purposes, nor cold. It was just lukewarm. So when Jesus says to them, your faith is lukewarm, they probably would have thought right away of their water supply. 
And he's saying, yes, I'm looking for passion. I'm looking for zeal. I'm, I'm looking for someone who are going after it, where there is that fire in the belly. I'm looking for your life to either be a source of God's power and blessing and strength or a source that's refreshing and new like a a cup of cold water to someone who's parched and weary and thirsty that your life would, would touch that. A little bit related to Josh's word of encouragement of a living stone. He's saying, I'm looking for life lived like that. That's why I died for you. That's the new life I'm giving you. I'm not looking for this half-hearted spirituality that's just going through the rhythms, the motions of faith. No, I'm looking for that zaleo, that, that passion within you. If your faith today is lacking some of that zaleo, well, you just might be struggling from lukewarm Christianity. The third indicator, I would say, is this voice, this idea. Verse 20, Jesus says, I knock on the door, and to anyone who hears my voice, I was thinking about this question. What's the predominant voice that is in your head right now? What's the main voice? Is is your voice your own voice? Now, just many of us have that that self-talk that's going on on a regular basis. Did you know that 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 self-talk can be either good or bad? Our own voice can either speak truth or speak lies to us, depending on that. Is the main voice the voice of perhaps that you grew up with, your mom or dad, right? And that can be good or bad. Eric, is your Popeye warm enough? No. Right? That, that can be the predominant voice that's taking place in your life. Is, your, is that predominant voice a, a spouse or your best friend? Again, that can be good or bad. What I'm learning is that, remember, I I talk a lot about this, this is important, that the God of Scripture is a God who is speaking to us. The question is not whether God is speaking to us. The question is whether we're listening or not. Well, we're, whether we are paying attention. And I want to suggest to you that if the predominant voice in your head is any other voice besides the voice of Christ, well, you just might be struggling from lukewarm Christianity. So those are our three indicators that are there that, that Jesus was saying to the church of Laodicea, this is it. This is, this is what you are wrestling with. So the question is, is there a remedy? How, how, do we, how do we fire up? If we relate to some of those, if we're struggling, if Jesus would taste our lives and go, nah, you, you don't got refreshing springs going on and you don't have hot springs going on. It's just... 
What do we do? Praise God, he provides some directives and some counsel for us in these pages of Scripture. Verse 18, he says, I counsel you. Boy, whenever Jesus says that, we want to pay attention. He said, let me speak to you. Let me, let me to share with you. He's saying, we want to perk up and listen for his voice. I was doing a little, uh, as I was preparing for the message, I decided to go to a search engine of BibleGateway.com. So if you don't know that search engine, it's really good. They have all the different translations. They don't have the Carpenter translation, but they have all the other ones. And you can put a word in, and, and it searches. And I put this word in. I put in, listen. I put the word listen. And do you know how many times listen is in Scripture? Old and New Testament, 412 times. That's a lot, right? So, right, Christianity is a faith that's about listening. I, I noticed in the Psalms, the word listen occurs 23 times. And oftentimes in the Psalms, it's the psalmist, it's the person who's praying and he's praying to God, listen to me, incline your ear to me, God. Or sometimes, David, why aren't you listening to me, right? That's the word, that's a prayer oftentimes. I also found this Isaiah passage, Isaiah 1.15. He was about to correct and rebuke the people of God, and he says this. He says, when you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes. Even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening. Your hands are full of blood. He's saying that he's connecting our life and how we're living, and he's saying, is it matters. That's the one verse where Jesus is like to our prayers, uh, la, 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 right? I'm not listening to you. So part of the Christian faith is, is saying, Lord, listen to me. Sometimes, Lord, why aren't you listening? Is there something in my life? Could be lukewarm Christianity. In Proverbs, interesting, the balance, listen is the same number as it is in Psalms, 23 times. But in Proverbs, it's a different dynamic. Oftentimes, it's a father speaking to the son, or really, in Proverbs, our heavenly father speaking to us children, and he's saying, listen to me, son. Daughter, pay attention. Listen, sometimes it's the personification of wisdom, which Christ Jesus is the wisdom of God, yes? And so he's saying, listen to me. I am the wisdom of God. Proverbs 8, 34, 35, this is wisdom speaking. Blessed are those who listen to me. Watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway for those who find me, find life, and receive favor from the Lord. The Christian life, the kingdom life, is rooted in this idea of listening and discerning the voice of God. 
I want to promise you that if you start listening and, and you start filling your life with the voice of God, if his voice starts becoming greater in your life and all the other voices, your own voice, the, the voice of your childhood, the voice of the enemy sometimes, if all of those voices start to reduce in significance, then the lukewarmness of your faith is going to begin to fade away. And that passion and that love is going to equate with his voice in your life. You might want to write this down real quick. Uh, uh, on, uh, on your bulletins, write this down at home. I, I'm a bit more and more passionate about the spiritual discipline of listening prayer. It's one of five disciplines that I root my life and ministry out. It's, it's based on the little boy Samuel when he still didn't know the Lord. He didn't know the voice of God in his life. And Eli has to instruct him on it. And he says, pray this. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So real simple steps we talk about listening prayer. Quiet your soul. This is step one. Step two, as you, as you quiet your soul and all these ideas and, 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 and thoughts and all of that are, that are from your day that are not from the Lord, you just take those and you place those before the Lord. And then the third step is that prayer. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Sometimes I like to let Jesus choose the subject matter. And, and allow him to say, Eric, I, I want to talk to you about this. You're, you're missing it. You're, you're off here. Sometimes there's people that I like to listen for, right? So if there's someone who's struggling or come to me with a, a difficulty or struggle in, in my prayer life, just to, just to then quiet my, my soul and and allow and place that person before the Lord and listen to how the Lord would direct. As an elder team, this past uh, Thursday, we gathered together and we just said, let's listen on behalf of Springs Community Church. What's the Lord saying? Can you imagine the effect on, in your life and faith if you began to actually respond to the Proverbs invitation of listen to me. That lukewarmness would fade away, believe it. Here's a second directive. He says, essentially, go shopping. Now, before some of you get very excited, I heard that laugh, Susie, yes. He's recommending shopping for particular items. Did you notice that? Don't just go, Kendra was excited for a moment. Finally, something he said I can relate to. No, 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 he's... <laughs> what does he say? Look, um, look at verse 17 and 18. He said, I counsel you to buy gold refined in the fire, white clothes to wear, and a salve for your eyes. He's saying, go after 
those things. And, and you notice the, the balance there, right? You, you actually, no, 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 to a real look, you are poor. So would you buy gold from me? Not fool's gold, not the world's gold, true gold. I would say, as I was thinking about that, the, the idea of saying, no, 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 the things of God, this life that God is offering us, this life that is connected to greater purposes and significance in this world, a, a life of meaning and depth. Go after that. I will sell it to you. You don't need any money. You don't need any fool's gold. If you just go after that, that life of meaning and purpose and significance, I'll give that to you. Would you buy that from me? I I think of the parable when Jesus talks about the the pearl of great wealth. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away, sold everything, everything else in the world. All the material possessions that we think of, no, 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 what really is the kingdom of God, this, this life connected to God in that way. You know, we've been talking, Kendra and I have been talking a little bit about uh, savings and retirement and all that, and I just got to say, boy, I... I'm never going to retire from wanting to live a life connected to God's purposes. It doesn't matter whether I'm paid for it or not. That, that's the good life. That's a life of significance. I don't want to just play golf. I don't really even enjoy golf, right? I want to keep my life in whatever shape or form connected to his purposes. I think that's the life of, of gold, of wealth of purpose. Second, he says, would you purchase white clothes, right? Playing on that idea of the the black cloth or wool that they were known for. And white clothes, of course, correlates to, he says, you're not clothed well. You have these rich and fancy clothes, but you're actually naked. He's saying, would you buy and the white clothes represents purity and righteousness. Would you let go of the things that are that are, are, are compromising your life? Would you pursue and go after a, a purity of heart, a purity that goes from inside out? You know, just think about the Sermon on the Mount and how Jesus always internalizes his truth and revelation. I could say, you know, I feel like I'm doing pretty good. I've not committed adultery against my wife. Good? That's probably good news that your pastor hasn't committed adultery, right? So how am I doing for lust? Well, that's a different question. Right? How is my heart doing? How, how is the, am I lusting after someone from the inside out? That's what I need 
to clothe, to, to buy white clothes from him. I want to encourage you in Lent. If, there is a, if there's something that's in your life that connects you to any kind of sin inside, maybe it's social media, maybe it's, uh, maybe it's a particular person that's in your life, would you take some time and you just say, you know what, for the next little bit, I'm going to shut that off or, or distance myself or remove that because, boy, when I, I keep praying and asking forgiveness and praise God for God's grace, but I end up in the same place because of this. Would you just take some time to say, you know what, I'm going I'm to get a little bit radical here. I'm going to give this over to God. And finally, this idea of blindness, of course, that correlates with salve that's on the eyes. He's saying, you need to buy, bring this so that you see your life, your faith, and the world from my perspective, not the world's. I'm calling you, Christ is calling you to a different lens of evaluating your own life and church and job and community. What lens do you wear? I was thinking in today's day and age, it is so easy for us to, to live, have a, a, a cynical lens, a depressed lens, a, a political lens, a financial gain lens, right? All of these lenses we can wear. And he says, no, 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 I'm trying to get you to see. Reminds me of the, the, the man born blind in John 9. When Jesus spits on the ground and creates mud, or you could say he, on the ground, puts the mud in his eyes and he begins to see in a different way. Physically, Jesus was healing and transforming what he sees. Spiritually, he's saying, I want to rub this salve in your eye to see your world like I see it. I do believe in this idea of continuous improvement. And so um, I was thinking about this. I was sharing with a congregational member that after I preach, I oftentimes will ask many of you, how did you experience the message? I mean, it has limited value because you're not going to tell me, Eric, that was your worst one yet. That was just, you were off, right? But, but still, what, what did you connect with? But you know, in this last year, I've been asking the most important person, what'd you think, right? So Kendra, no, I've been asking Kendra for years and years. I've been saying, Lord, what do you think? How'd it go? Can you imagine if we said, Lord, what do you think uh, about this? Or how, how am I, I loving my spouse well? How am I doing with anxiety, Lord? What do you, what do you think? Or what do you think about this decision in my job? And I, am, I, am I living with the kind of same ethic that you would call me? Am I, Lord, am I being the living stone that you would call me? What do you think? Boy, if we ask that lens question, how profoundly would our lives change with the lukewarmness Drift away. And here's the final directive, this. 
He says, open the door. Open the door. And this powerful, many people's uh, famous, uh, favorite verse, here I am, Jesus says, I stand at the door, this is verse 20, and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person. And they with me. This incredible verse. Remember, to, to eat was, was, we're more casual about that. To, to share a meal in someone's home in, in the time of Christ really reflected a, an intimacy, an affection, a, a communion that doesn't quite do it for us today. There was a, a shared life, and so Jesus is saying, I'm knocking at the door, and I want to come in and, and share in that affection and that love and that intimacy. Reminds me of John 14, 23. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. There's a, a famous portrait by Holman Hunt, which I love. We, we, I think we have that portrait here. I like to remind myself of this a little bit. Um, it's a little bit dark up there, but that's Jesus. That's this verse, Holman Hunt, the artist, and he's knocking at the door, and you see the door is kind of overgrown. It hasn't been opened for a while. And so Jesus with his lamp is still knocking. I guess the, the story goes that uh, someone was admiring Holman Hunt's uh, painting with, with the artist there, and he says, you know, it's a wonderful painting, but you know, you did forget something. There's no handle on the door. And the artist said, no, 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 that was intentional. There's only one handle, it's on the inside. Jesus is inviting you to take hold of the handle. He, he knocks, but he doesn't shove his way in. It's an invitation for you to open your life to him, to invite him in and to eat, to, to share a meal. I guarantee you in this Lenten season, if you were to open the door of your life again, and remember, he says this to Christians. I, I think it applies to non-Christians. You, you can preach that, but he's saying this to Christians, saying, hey, when was the last time you invited me over for a meal? When was a, is your door a little bit overgrown? I, I am offering. Remember the, the, the resurrected Jesus. Remember how we started this whole series with the, the eyes blazing. He sees everything. The, the white here, the wisdom, his, the double-edged sword coming out of his mouth, his, his, his feet of bronze, right? He is the power and authority of God. And it's this Jesus saying, hey, are you going to invite me in? I want to transform 
your life from the inside out, but I, I, I'm not going to force the door open. You have to pull it open. I guarantee you, friends, if you pull that door open afresh and anew, any lukewarmness in your faith, if you share a meal with Jesus on a regular basis, any lukewarm aspects of your life will fade away. And that true vibrancy, that, that true wealth, that, that true um, um, voice of God will just begin to pour out of your life. Would you pray with me? So as the worship team comes forward, would you just give a, a sense, just give an invitation of the Lord? Would you listen for just a moment? Lord Jesus, how am I doing? How are we doing? What would Jesus want to bring up to you? What's he want to have a discussion about, to, to share a meal about?